my name is Rafal, and I would like to welcome everybody to my podcast. Today, I have very special guest, Michelle Balberg. I hope I pronounced that right. Yes, welcome to welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation. You are one of my biggest heroes because the stuff what you do is unbelievably amazing. I'm not a wildlife photographer. I'm scared of light life and I'm going to talk about <laughs> it a little bit later. So everything what you do, you are the bravest woman I know. So, well, like we could go on and on about it, but I'm really inspired by your work, everything what you do, um, you know. I like you probably don't even need introduction because everyone who lives in Canada and I think all over the world knows somehow your work. But let me kind of bring some of these achievements you you've done so far. So your work was exposed in Canadian Museum of Nature. Like I I tried to do a little bit of research on you. Your work <laughs> also is on the Royal Canadian Mint coins, Canada post stamps, endless covers. Um, you already published four books, um, which I haven't seen all of them. I've seen some of them, which also are amazing. And you've done so many amazing projects. And I want to also dive deep in some of them, especially the Project North. And I'm not going to spoil some of the stuff what you already achieved with this, but it's pretty impressive. And I, when I read that, it's amazing. So Welcome to my show. And again, thank you for accepting invitation for talking to me. Oh, well, thank you, Rafael, for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. And I love that intro and seeing your amazing portraiture. You're, you're just an inspiration as well for me to see your work and, and see how creative and amazing you are. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to share a little story before we jump into some questions and some discussions. We've met several years in Calgary, and I remember we've been speaking on that event. And I remember you were preparing for some book sale, and you were like, you were by, by yourself, and you were just kind of putting those books on the table. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to just come up and introduce myself, and I'm going to talk to you. And believe it or not, I got cold feet. I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> This is the toughest lady on this planet. And I don't know if I even, she, even if she wants to talk to me. So I remember I was like, okay, I got scared. I'm going to, I'm going to push this to maybe another time. And I remember later that day we went to the pub. We had a little gathering over there. Yeah. And then we had a chance to chat a little bit. And I was like, oh my God, she's like the most down to earth person. We had so much fun, some interesting discussions. But yeah. my first attempt to, talk to you ended up with a little bit of failure so i want to just share that with you because i, I think that was a little that. bit funny I never <laughs> well i never that. shared that with you but that that was kind of the first <laughs> time i remember when we've met and you had this amazing book putting on the table i'm just like oh my god so oh that is so sweet i wish so he came up to me though but I'm, well, I'll, I'll just we had a chance to I'm talk glad. afterwards. Exactly. Way more fun in a pub situation anyway with beer. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably, if you know, if we wouldn't talk in that pub, I would be probably scared till today. So I'm glad we had a chance to chat quickly. <laughs> so tell me um, about your path into photography. Like how this whole thing started. This is the first thing I would like to know because I 
I never had a chance. I know you've been photographing for decades and decades, but how this whole thing started. And also the second part of this question is what you love most about your work as a wildlife photographer. Oh, I think we're we're the luckiest people on the planet to be able to do what we love and to do photography as a full-time profession, right, Rafael? I think that Absolutely. we're just so, so fortunate. And it's all I've ever really done other than work for my father in his office um, mm -hmm. a long time ago. And, I, you know, I wanted, I was pursuing golf. I really wanted to be a golf pro. And it was at that time, that transition time, I was 17 years old, my dad gave me his camera. He was an eye doctor, so he always had his Nikon on um, a copy machine because he was a professor as well. So he was always doing copy slides. And when wow. I was going to like, yeah, when I was going to like Placid, so I always had, because it was in our, where we hung out in the basement. Mm -hmm. And I always saw the cameras there, but I had never picked one up. I had a Polaroid and, you know, a couple of smaller brownies mm -hmm. if we're totally dating myself. But anyway, um, And then when I was going to Lake Placid for a weekend, he gave me his camera and he said, here you go, try it out. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget the first photo that I took. And it was of a stream and I had no idea how I did it, but I made everything in the background go out of focus. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and uh, I did a couple other shots and I went, you know what, I want to, I want to be a photographer. I, I, mm -hmm. you know, I was 17 years old. And then I came home and I said, okay, I know I'm going to be a photographer. And uh, my father asked me, you know, they were, my parents were always of, you can do anything. There's not anything you can't do. There's not, mm -hmm. you know, the world is your oyster. And I said, I want to be a photographer. And then my father looked at me and went, yeah, great. And what else? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to make a living at photography, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, next thing you know, you know, he came back to me a couple of days later with, you know, you can go to Ottawa U, you can study fine art photography, you can mm -hmm. go to Algonquin or Ryerson had a program, a four-year program as well. And because I lived in Ottawa, it was just kind of a, mm -hmm. a no-brainer. I could get a university degree and study photography at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. So during the summers, um, I started my own business and that was also mm -hmm. with the recommendation and the encouragement of my father. And, and then kind of uh, made my way through university in the summers. And, and when I graduated, I, I actually, I went to Ottawa U and then I went to Algonquin College to mm -hmm. get the technical training. So I had the business going throughout. And then when I graduated, I started doing uh, video production, actually. Oh, wow. And yeah, only work for myself. And I knew at that point, you know, and as it is more so now than ever, the, the market is saturated. Everybody's a photographer. Mm -hmm. Everybody can be a photographer. Back then it was much harder because you actually had to really know what you were doing. There was, you know, it was mm -hmm. mostly all manual. It was, especially with Hasselblad, you didn't oh, know what wow. you were getting. Yeah. The only yeah. thing we knew what we were getting is when we put the Polaroid back on the back of the, yeah. of the Hasselblad. Right. Yeah. And then you had to wait. It was just so different back then. And it was also mm -hmm. so costly, right. When we had to go to the store and buy film and then we had to go and get a process like the investment that you had to make. So um, I actually started in the video side and went in, in the like kind of medium end of the, of the video production spectrum. And back then it was, you know, transitioning into eight millimeter and VHS mm -hmm. and beta was still, a, you know, a popular mode. So 
you know, I had to transition into, into different um, mediums, even in, in the video production, because at that time, of course, we were just, you know, the world of, of media was just, you know, going in leaps and bounds and, and change. So, yeah, so I started with video production and then I did weddings, I did events, I did bar mitzvahs, mm-hmm. I did commercial work, I did everything that I could. And then as that started to get a little bit known, because I was so young, right, I was mm-hmm. in my early 20s, um, as I started to get known more in the Ottawa area doing video production, I started to introduce photography back. And then I started doing more primarily photography and had um, a staff of 13 and, and most were doing the video side of the business. And then I got more photographers and there wasn't anything I said no to. So I've, and I mm-hmm. still do portrait. I still do portraits. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So it, it's been a, a, a whirlwind and a very difficult career. It's like the 30 year overnight success. I call it these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's how, that's how it all started. So your primary right now, like it's wildlife, photography so that's your kind of main focus right so how that whole thing transitioned towards that field of photography because i think everybody who is in that industry has to go through that process and also what i want to mention that 99 percent people i talk to like whenever how they start is some kind of family connection the father has a camera even in my case my dad was a little kind of he was had this dark room and we were shooting film and yeah i remember how much money he had to pay and every time you clicked like he fought million times that he wants to make sure it's done properly like nowadays nobody thinks about it right you just shoot yeah. and it's it's at no cost delete shoot person. and delete yes. exactly yeah. so you know so how this whole thing kind of like narrow down into the wildlife photography because like as you said, at the beginning, there was everything. And then you start kind of like going a little bit towards this particular field. Yeah. And, and it, just like my parents gave or my father gave me his camera, my parents were birders. They were nature lovers. We traveled mm-hmm. all across Canada. It was always get out into nature, enjoy nature, appreciate nature. Uh, so I always had that in, in, in the back pocket. So I would go out. Uh, for walks or I would go out with my camera and photograph Mm -hmm. wildlife anytime that I could but that's not where the money was in photography so back then it's not how I was going to make a living and that that's that's where it comes down to you know you do what you love when you when you can I always had special projects but you know I had to do what I I had to do in Mm -hmm. order to make a living at photography and to build and build my name build my brand what they call it Mm -hmm. now back then it was building your name now you know then it it, then it became building the brand so outside of you know my company and then once I started to build the brand on on an individual basis and I did a book on Canada's Arctic um, that's when I that going to the Arctic Going up to see my first polar bear up to Pond Inlet on the on the top of the world was when everything started to transition for mm-hmm. me outside of just being in the studio, but out in nature on a more full time basis. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a long time, you know, a lot. Yeah. When I graduated, I would have loved to say I would. I, and how many times have I heard it from students? I want to be a Nat Geo photographer, right? I want mm-hmm. to work for National Geographic. So that just that's the elite of the elite of the of the elite. And, you know, how you go about making money as a wildlife photographer, nature photographer is a whole different ballgame. And, yes. you know, I'm transitioning right through the digital era, um, you know, non-social. Remember when <laughs> we didn't have social media, we didn't have yeah. the opportunity to 
be in front of so many people. And it was, uh, I still remember building my first website. I mean, I'm aging myself totally. But, you know, when you think back of how hard it was to make it as a photographer, and it was all name based, and it was really dependent on your community on your on your city that you lived in to really gain your momentum as a as a photographer as a pro photographer if that's what you were going to do on a full-time basis so uh, when I went up to the Arctic and I I was able to work you know it was the right call it was the right time it was the right opportunity uh, I ended up working for uh, Nunava Tourism with a company called Adventure Canada and also Above and Beyond Magazine so I ended up having you know an opportunity to travel to the Arctic for the first time, but also work for these companies that then were able to help me platform into wildlife and nature and adventure mm-hmm. in a whole different platform. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's always, it always, when you think back to all the dots, dot, dot, right. We talk about the dot, dot, dots and how all those dots add up when you're making those dots. It doesn't always necessarily make sense why those dots are happening Absolutely. and how they're going to connect. But sooner or later, those dots start to connect. And then you're like, oh, right. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So that's actually, um, that's going to lead us to the next question. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm terrified of wildlife. When I came to Canada in 2001, whenever I was hearing all these grizzly stories and all this crazy stuff, I was like, okay, you know what? I can go for some hike and stuff, but camping and all this you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of something which I'm scared. So that's why I really admire what you do because you're getting really close to nature. You're getting really close to the wildlife and then you becoming like a part of it. So my next question is a little bit more, maybe not technical, but I just want to, I would like to know how you preparing for those trips because I'm guessing you're not just showing up in the Arctica and you start shooting. There's a lot of preparation there is a lot of, um, you know, studying prior. Also, my question, another thing what I want to ask, like, do you study like an animal behavior or how you can approach them? Like how this whole process look like? Because everyone who sees your work, like you've photographed some crazy stuff, like, you know, getting close to the, you know, grizzly bears and polar bears. And I've, I've heard some crazy story about polar bears, how they, how smart they are, how clever they are how they can do all those little kind of things to kind of get the prey. So are you kind of scared going to those places and how the preparation for you looks like before you go on that kind of adventure? Yeah, that's a great question. And most important is that you're going with people or you're Mm -hmm. guided by people that know the land and know the animals and know the landscape. Of course, I mean, you're not going out into these pol- into polar bear country or out to the mm-hmm. flow edge where there's polar bears and other kind of creatures that are are around. And not to mention the weather and and the ice conditions. And mm-hmm. you know, so when you're going into these extreme conditions, it's most important that you're going with a company and a guide, or if not guides, that that know the land and the people. Uh, not mm-hmm. the people, but land and the landscape and the weather. So that's number one. You have to prepare yourself with the right people. And then it's it's you have to take care of yourself as well. And then you have the preparation for your clothing, for the proper uh, way that you're going to either stay warm, stay dry, uh, you know, not even thinking about your equipment because if you're not if you're not prepared, then your equipment's not going to matter. So you know, making sure that you're well prepared physically 
in mm-hmm. in uh, in clothing, and then understanding where you're going, what the threats are, what uh, animal behavior for sure. You can study animal behavior all you want, but until you're in front of it and you're experiencing it, it could be completely different. Um, mm-hmm. But really important to understand that as well. So educate yourself to where you're going, what the possibilities of risk are. Um, my husband likes to drop me off at the airport and scream, "Do you have polar bear insurance?" Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, um, maybe a satellite phone. Uh, making sure that you're you're connected in some way and being very very careful and mindful and respectful to the environment that you're going into Mm -hmm. most important you don't want any harm to come to those animals nor yourself Uh, so Mm -hmm. we have to always remember that we're in their environment and that we're not causing any stress to them or ourselves Um, you know so that that comes into fair play as well so then, then it's protecting your equipment. If you're going to manage mm-hmm. to try to take these photos, then you have to prepare, be prepared physically and then making sure that your equipment is prepared as well. And then mm-hmm. when you're in deep cold, I mean, there's so many levels and layers to it, but you know, if you're out in the cold, then you have to make sure you're transitioning your equipment properly. Um, you know, Nikon has never failed me in the, in the oh. deep cold, um, you know, but, yeah, yeah. But you have to always be prepared, be prepared for, you know, serious, you know, weather conditions and, you know, whether it's snowing and it's minus 25 and you're, you know, working a zoom, a zoom lens, say, you know, and mm-hmm. then you're extended and then you're getting condensation um, within that, that, that lens. So, you know, when it's, when it's extended and then, you know, how do you transition back? So that's a big question. And, and there's, I think most important so though, many. yeah, the most important thing is that you know who you're going with and that you have a proper guide to take you in these places. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always next to my guide and I always okay. am very trustworthy <laughs> of my guide. I can tell you that. So, so what and, would you and, say, sorry, Go ahead. It's okay. I, I was just going to end again and reiterate, you know, making sure that you're mm-hmm. respectful to the animals that, that you're, you're in their environment with. So with your so many years of experience and going to like different parts of the world. So what would you say is the most remarkable wildlife encounter you had with animals? I'm sure there's tons of stories, but if yeah. there's something special, <laughs> which is kind of close to your heart and then and, and you remember this really precisely. Uh, there's, there's a lot that, that are close to my heart. I have to say there's, there's a lot of moments with animal behavior that I've seen that, that take my breath away and mm-hmm. make me my heart full and sing. And, you know, just, you know, there's from small animals to, to mm-hmm. big animals, but probably one of the scariest moments I had was when we were on the tundra and we had just landed uh, with a, um, a beaver on the tundra and we had, were taking all of our equipment off and a bear approached and he kept approaching. So it was fall. Mm-hmm. They haven't eaten in four months or so. Um, you know, they're hungry, they're inquisitive. We're, we're their, their source of, you know, we're blood. <laughs> we have blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, they're carnivores. Um, you know, they're hungry. They're, they're inquisitive. Uh, and it approached and, at that point, there was nothing that, that we could do. And it got to the point that he was only, you know, maybe 20 feet from my guide. And I was about 10 feet behind my guide. And, you know, at that point, you're not, I know this is terrifying, you're a foul. Even I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was trusting my, my guide who has lived on the land 
his entire life and knows these animals and stood in front of me and, you know, held his gun and talked to Nuktitu to the bear and said, big bear, you know, we're not, we don't want to harm, we don't want you to harm us, you know, please, you know, keep your distance. And, you know, he was talking Nuktitu to him and I was standing behind him. And at that point I, I couldn't run, I couldn't do anything. And, um, and then the bear sat down and he put one foot forward than the other. And he started looking out, you know, each side of his, of his head when he turned it. And then the guide said, he's going to charge. So I need to fire a ground shot. And he did, he had to fire a ground shot, which was terrifying in itself because mm-hmm. of course you don't want to have that confrontation with a wild animal. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was able to at least get the bear out of that fixation of we were in front of him and he wanted to be a part of us. <laughs> he wanted closer. So, um, but it, it, you know, outside of the absolutely terrifying moment of looking so close at a polar bear that wanted to charge us, it was also the realization of how insignificant we are and how, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're just, yeah, it, it was, it was a realization of, of how we are in their environment. We are the visitors mm-hmm. and how important it is to, to remain respectful of that and, and be very careful and safe all the time. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's where it was, you know, when you asked me what kind of impactful moment I've had, it was not only scary, but it was also, I was thankful that the bear did not come harm to us and, mm-hmm. and nor did we harm the bear but how incredibly thankful I am that I had somebody in front of me that was <laughs> so brave <laughs> yeah perfect so what animal would you most like to capture that you haven't already because I've noticed you've mm-hmm. captured so many many amazing creatures and species um, so maybe let's start what is your favorite animal to capture and then, you know, is there any which you didn't capture yet, which you would like to get? If you look at my Instagram, you'd probably see a lot of bears. So I think mm-hmm. bears of all kinds are, are one of my favorites. I never really have one favorite. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated with wolves as well. Mm-hmm. But outside of Canada and in a place that I haven't been to yet, it's probably the tigers in India mm-hmm. or the pumas. Um large cats um and yeah those are probably at the top of my list right now of animals that i haven't photographed yet so you're going after the very scary ones (laughs) 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 i think you should i think you should face your fear i think you should face your fear Ravel, and come with me one day and we'll go out there but i would be like behind you you know like probably a couple feet (laughs) I had a client come to the Great Bear Rainforest with me and we were on land and she had bears right in front of her. And you know what, Jill, if you're if you ever listen, she's from Alberta too. She did it and she faced it and she's much better now. No better. You know, I actually encounter a few bears, but I was in the car. So usually when we go to Bamp or Canmore, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of on the side of the road, right? But right. I can also say that people are just idiots because I've noticed that, oh, you know, they have cubs and they try to pet them and just like, you guys, people lost your mind. Yeah. But, you know, usually those stories don't don't end up well, but. No, they don't. And yeah, that is. Yeah, the bison in Yellowstone with that woman recently, it didn't, it didn't end well. And it, 
you know, it's just, it's a matter of education and not really knowing. And I've seen it. I've seen it as well. And when people are approaching and approaching with little ones, you know, with their little kids, yeah. I remember telling some, somebody in Alberta, you know, they were walking towards a mom and a cub and they had little babies. And I was like, no, 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 no. Back it's off. Actually back staying off. away from those as far as you can, because they even yeah. more dangerous, right? With the exactly. cubs. Especially. Exactly. But yeah. yeah. Or feeding animals. I mean, there's just, it's, there's, it's out of control in a lot of places, unfortunately. Absolutely. So let's kind of go a little bit back and let's talk a little bit about the technical stuff. So, how you develop your style like you know in and also have you seen some drastic changes when you started and how you photograph now like could you share you know how how you how over the years you develop your own style and, and again I, like i know it's a different story when it comes to the portraiture and all this stuff because wildlife is completely different game ball um but can you see some of like a different ways you photograph these days than you know you used to back in the days yeah, and and as much you know, when I when I when I'm in the studio, it's you're you're in control. You have makeup, you have mm -hmm. hair, you have light. Yes. You can tell the client what to do. I mean, you're in complete control. And when you go into the wild, you're out of control completely. Mm -hmm. You're at the mercy yeah. of the light, of the animal behavior, of everything. But when you're photographing people, Rafael, you're photographing them, trying to capture their soul, mm -hmm. right? You're you're trying to capture their personality trying to capture them in a way that they've never seen themselves before a way that they want to see themselves, you know, a way that they're proud to see themselves. You know, you're giving them beauty and, and through your, through your imagination, through your, through your style, which is very, you know, you have a clear defined style, the way that you do portraiture, which is absolutely fantastic and amazing with wildlife. It's kind of, you know, it's not, it's not that much different. I think I'm looking for more, now from when I started capturing those personalities and capturing that emotion mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. just capturing an, an animal to capture it. When you're first photographing something, if you haven't seen it before and, and say in particular, you know, the first time, I, and I'll never forget, I saw a mom loon with a baby on its back close to where we got our cottage. It was the first year. I was just totally taken. So I was, you know, and also I'm in a boat, it's moving. You don't know how long the baby's going to be on the back the lights changing i'm shooting film you know so they're all things all things so you know you, you it's you know, i was taking a picture i wasn't creating mm -hmm. the picture i was taking the picture i think now my thought process is more around capturing that personality and that mm -hmm. moment and that um behavior that in a way that no one has seen before Mm -hmm. and and that you know what we're constantly trying to do as photographers is you know we're imagine how you've changed right your style from the beginning to to where you are now it's much it's much the same so it's I think it's more not technically how I've changed even though you know we can talk about mm -hmm. mirrorless and you know the long lens capabilities now that we have the technical side it's more of the creative side of how how I want to showcase the animals in their environment to create emotional connection in hopes that that creates compassion and mm -hmm. need for change <clears throat> maybe you know create that interest uh, for people to want to know more about these animals and you know the the soft conservation theme i guess that mm -hmm. you know if we don't take better care of this planet then you know we have a lot to lose and how do we do that and it's inspiring people to learn more about nature and about the natural world that we have there's a lot of people spend their days in in concrete 
or in a car or on pavement, you know, not necessarily going into, into the natural world. So mm-hmm. how do you get, how do you bring them in closer? Much like you, when you create a portrait, you want people to spend time with that image and to, mm-hmm. to create their own story about that person or, you know, it, yeah, it's much the same in mm-hmm. with wildlife or that. So you, par- so you partially answer my next question, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. So according to Michelle, what is fantastic picture? Uh, something that stirs emotion. I think mm-hmm. I'm a mo- I'm an emotional being, right? I think as mm-hmm. photographers, we have to we have to be. So um, I'm highly emotional. So what what makes a great photo is seeing something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Technically, of course, good, but you know the the most important and compelling component is is when I am touched my soul to my heart, mm-hmm. and it makes me stop. You know, it makes me stop and think, and it inspires me. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So now let's kind of dive into your work. Um, And I know you've shot probably hundreds of thousands of images, probably even more. But do you have any like a image which you're really proud of and is very special for you? And if you could tell me why? Okay, well, most recently, I won uh, the gold medal at the World Photographic Cup in Italy in May with Boss, Mm -hmm. and he's a spirit bear. And one of the one of the moments that happened with it was, you know, again, it was a, an approach. I had an 800 millimeter. I was my knees in the water. I was looking down the river at a spirit bear, which is also known as a Kermode bear. And it's the only place in the world that you can see them. And as it was approaching, I was realizing that my 800 millimeter was a little too long. Mm-hmm. And I always have a compliment, if not two, maybe a 500 millimeter, a 70 to 200. And I was with my guide and I was with my group of people as well. And the guide just talked us through it. He just said, stay very still. And if you didn't have your camera up by your eye, you're not lifting your camera up. You have to stay absolutely mm-hmm. still. And as the wow. bear approached, he stood right in front of me. And literally probably 10 feet, but he stood directly facing me and he put his head under the water. So they're eating salmon. The scenario is, you know, they, they're habituated. They're used to seeing people on the river, maybe not 10 feet from you, but, you know, they're used to seeing people. It was very calm. It was, there was no, there was nothing, you know, to, to harm or, you know, cause concern for the bear. And he would put his head under the water and he would fish for salmon row on the on the river's bottom. But it wasn't until I, I, you know, I was kind of taken with the whole scene that here I am looking at a spirit bear feet away from me and he's got his head under the water. And he lifted his head and he shook. And I was so taken with all of this happening that it wasn't about the photography, but it was about the experience. And I was, mm-hmm. I was so in awe of what was happening. I didn't have the right lens on. I didn't have the right settings. I didn't realize, even though I have a dog that goes into the water and swims and comes out and shakes. I mean, that's the first thing they do, right? So the the light was low. Um, it, you know, the, it was raining or it had been raining. So the back forest behind him, like, you know, as his background was dark, he was almost illuminated. And then I, when he did it again, fortunately he let, he put his head under the water again. I was able to change my camera out and I got the 70 to 200 on that's how close and he would lift his head and he would shake. 
but the mm -hmm. drops were illuminated by the dark background wow. and it became a bit positioning, right? Because I was low to the ground, always important for me as a wildlife photographer to be uh, eye level if possible. I was low to the ground, I was eye level. He shook, but you know, it was one of those moments that everything had to be in the right place at the right time when he shook Amen. his head. And with the illumination of the, of the raindrops or the, you know, the water, not the raindrops, but the water flying off of them. It just, it was those perfect elements that all came together. And I think, you know, I, there's probably five in my whole career that I can talk about that it was the unexpected that happened and everything came together at once. And that to me, because I just won the gold medal, I'm, I'm super, super mm -hmm. proud of. And uh, yeah, so I think as photographers, right, we're always searching for that. Mm -hmm. We're waiting for that moment that everything, absolutely everything comes together perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So don't you think this is like a little bit of addiction sometimes? And and what I mean by that, oh, totally. like whenever we see those kind of totally. moments and we capture this and we look at those images and just brings everything back and your adrenaline rank, like running high, even with my work, sometimes, you know, like you shoot something new or, and then you yeah. later on, you look at those images and you get this like excitement yeah. about the image itself and it's just so addictive like you want it more so you want to create more you want to do more yeah. stuff and just get can and get this emotional state again it's kind of fascinating I, I think people who don't do photography they don't really understand that but it's like a drug sometimes for I think a lot of us yeah absolutely it's and that's what I relate to golf a lot to photography because it's getting that perfect shot and getting, you know, everything comes together and you make that perfect shot and you know you can mm -hmm. do it again, but it takes some time to get there again. Or, yeah. you know, you have the perfect game where your short game was good and your long game was good. Everything was good. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're always in search. So, yeah, it's a total addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you've traveled the world. You've been to endless amount of different places, countries. And so which part of the world have you found most exciting as a wildlife photographer? Like what is your favorite place to be in and, and, and photograph wildlife? Canada. 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 Simple answer. Canada. Canada. Absolutely. We have so much diversity. We have mm -hmm. amazing places to visit and explore. And, you know, I love to travel the world just back from Svalbard, Greenland, Iceland. I am going back to Canada's Arctic in a few weeks Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I spend the next couple of months in Canada. I go to Antarctica. I've been, like you said, places, but I think there are so many places that are unexplored and that people don't even realize that we, that we have because we're so busy going to other parts of the world when we have so much here from the grasslands mm -hmm. to the rainforest, to the Arctic, we have coast to coast to coast. We have the East coast. We have animals, uh, diversity in every, every province. I think it's mm -hmm. the most beautiful place in the world and i'm so happy to be canadian absolutely perfect so now let's switch the gears and i'm gonna just dive into some bad stuff so what were the biggest mistakes you made when you first started out as a wildlife photographer can you recall anything oh yeah i can recall a lot of things and something that just happened in in greenland um mm -hmm. you know it, it doesn't make i still make mistakes i think we all do um, I, and it's, just, especially when you're not in a controlled situation, but, yeah. you know, I had three cameras going, we had a bear up against the ship and, um, I picked up my second camera and I went to high speed on my 
um, on my dial to, I was on single shot and then I went high, low, and then I went high, high rapid speed, uh, which is 20 frames a second. Anyway, I was shooting a bear right up against the ship and I accidentally turned it to timer instead of, mm -hmm. I went one too far. So I was thinking and with mirrorless and everything was happening so quick. And I had to run from the front of the ship to my room and I'm shooting from the balcony and I had two, two other cameras going, I picked it up and I was, I, I thought I was shooting, but it was on timer. So yeah. it happens. Right. I mean, that, right. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's the but first it's, time it's that I've said that. We remember this to the rest of our lives. Right. If something, right. we, something goes wrong, then you just like stick to your mind and you just like, why? Right. But and why? Then especially and then, I and think in your like, world. Yeah. When everything is happening so quickly, right? There's no time to think. You have to act and you got to be on it, right? Yeah, and and exactly, you're on it and and there, you know, as much as I love mirrorless, um I shoot silent and you know, it just kind of gets away with you because, you know, you're thinking you're shooting and uh and I'm transitioning between different cameras. So, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, making sure that you're fully aware of of all your settings. But you don't necessarily expect that a polar bear is going to come right up against the ship. And mm. then you have to change position. So, you know, you can make excuses. I know why it happened. But, mm. you know, then I then I go, well, I wasn't meant that those images weren't meant for me. You know, there's mm -hmm. nothing that you could do about it except move forward and learn because I'll never yeah. make that mistake again. But you also have to understand no, no matter how how long you've been doing, mistakes happen for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you have a great camera doesn't mean that you're going to be a great photographer and you're not going to make yeah. mistakes. So Absolutely. that's the first time I've told anyone that story because it just oh. happened. I'm still, I'm still in the. Oh. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so, who inspires you? Do you have any photographers who inspire you? Like you look up to? Is there uh, yeah. anybody who really kind of? He yeah, you know, there's two, of course, I go to women photographers in, in my field, um, but there are also amazing portrait photographers as well. And it's one is Amy Vitali and the other is Christina Mittemeyer. And if you don't follow either one of them, you should. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend um, their storytelling, their conservation efforts, and the way that they connect the people to the animals and the stories. Mm -hmm. It's not just about uh, the elephant sanctuary, uh, per se, it's about the people that work in the elephant sanctuary. So, you know, they, they pick that because we're visual storytellers and how are we going to inspire people? And, and the way that they, they not talk about just the wildlife, but it's the people behind the wildlife. Mm -hmm. And it's about not just the people, but the women. And then, you know, the women breaking barriers and mm -hmm. then it ties back to the animals or, or the environment or, or the natural world. So they're amazing visual storytellers and they're women photographers that have been doing this a long time. And I absolutely love them as friends, but as, mm -hmm. as uh, incredible visual artists. Mm -hmm. There's so many my, others, but... Absolutely. So that's actually leads me to my next question. And how do you think photography can change people's attitude towards like in endangered species and also protect the wildlife because i know we're telling the stories and i think i'm going to ex expand this a little bit because based on my experience i think humanity is becoming really disconnected from the nature 
and we really we really don't know what's really going on out there right especially in the wildlife like we just see movies we see yeah. images but we're not really kind of connected on the level i think we should be so how the photography can change that because your work really is showing that the world which we can't see every single day right and you are the kind of bridge between the disconnected world and the wildlife and the nature so how do you think photography can change people's attitude towards some of those things uh can you hear me okay you were glitching out yes. a little bit yeah okay okay so uh i think it goes back to what we were talking about in creating emotion you know empathy um interest so not only visual storytelling but the stories that that accompany your images as well so mm -hmm. it did it just digs deeper but you know when people are thumbing through their Instagram feed, you know, you want them to stop that thumb. You want them mm -hmm. to spend time with your image. So it has to be, you know, technically beautiful. It mm -hmm. has to be emotionally charged. And then I think it's important that you share some of maybe your personal account. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily talking to people about, you know, it's important that they have information, but I think when you're emotionally connected to those animals, mm -hmm then your audience, if they're following you and they're looking, they'll want, to, they'll want to know more too. So if you can come at it when you're doing your visual storytelling, not just with a great image, but with the story behind it and a personal connection, I think that mm -hmm. is what makes um, you know, the, that image that can really have an impact, much mm -hmm. like you know, with video as well, like shooting more video, more of the, of the personality, more of the, of the sound of nature. Mm -hmm. We are nature illiterate for, for the most part, for sure. You know, and uh, I think COVID inspired people to get out more because that was really the last thing that they were able or the only thing they were able to do for sanity outside of their four walls. They were able to go for a walk. So mm -hmm. I think people were spending more time, um, you know, even listening and hearing, you know, those sounds encouraging people to hear more, listen more, smell more, uh, mm -hmm. use your senses. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm really answering your question, but I think, yeah. you know, overall as a visual storyteller, I think if you can, if you can pull people in through your personal recount, give them a little bit of information and a really impactful image, then, then you're, you're a long ways into making a difference, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my next question is technical and I know I don't really like asking those questions, but I know if I wouldn't, people would be upset. So what is in your kit bag? What kind of camera you're using? What kind of lenses you're using? Um, um, like on some of those images you're sharing, like you shooting with some crazy stuff. So can you share some <laughs> of the stuff you're yeah. using for capturing your beautiful images? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a long lens junkie. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> um, right now, presently, I have uh, two Z9s, Z9s. Mm -hmm. I have, if you start from short, I have the 1424, 2470. Mm -hmm. Then I have the 70 to 200. I have the 100 to 400. And I have now the 800. So um, the new uh, 6.3 that everybody is clamoring to get. And they're in short demand. So I'm sorry for anybody listening that yeah. hasn't got their 800 millimeter yet. Or their Z9, um, Z9. I also just, uh, for Nikon Japan, I uh, helped launch the 400 millimeter PF. Mm -hmm. 
which is a 4.5 and it's absolutely extraordinary. And I used it with the two times extender as well. And it's absolutely fantastic. So um, I just haven't had that in my pocket because my prime right now and my go-to is the 800. I did and was using the 500 PF almost primarily, but the 800 I used to shoot with the 5.6. It's now, you know, PF, hand-holding 6.3, 800 millimeter, I'll take that any day. And mm -hmm. sometimes I have way too much lens. Um, most often I don't, but sometimes it's way too much, but it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different way of seeing nature and the animals because you have the accessibility. I mean, I can go on my kayak with it. I can walk with mm -hmm. it. I can be in a Zodiac with it. You know, it's, it's offering so much more opportunity now. I also have the 7.2, the Nikon 7.2 as my third body, which I'll use more for landscape and mm -hmm. uh, for portraits even. But yeah, the, the Z9, Z9, sorry, I launched in US, so I, I, I trained my brain to say Z, but I know we're in it's Canada Z. and it's Z. Um, so uh, the Z9 is my absolute go-to camera. So mm -hmm. it's a lot to carry around. It's a lot of equipment, but right now mm -hmm. it's fulfilling my, my needs and um, and making me really, really happy when I go out in the field. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So you have a lot of equipment. So you're traveling with all this stuff all the time or? Yeah. The new 800, I use this Think Tank Airporter bag mm -hmm. and uh, it's on my website actually under gear. And it, I can put my, I can put the 800 millimeter in there. I can put the 800, the one to 400. Oh, one of the shorter lenses, maybe the 1424. Um, Another camera body, the 7.2, all my camera, all my chargers, my batteries, my mic, my external mic, my extender. I can put that all in that camera bag and get it over over top. It mm -hmm. it weighs, you don't want anyone picking it up because it weighs a lot. But and then I have a, a secondary bag that I put my laptop in, and then I have my my third camera body in that and maybe the 70 to 200. Mm -hmm. So I actually care, I'm able to transport it all with me, which is pretty remarkable. When I traveled with the 805.6, I had to put it below, and it was it was a little painful to put that kind of lens down down below. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I I travel with equipment sometimes, not to that extent with the stuff which you have, but I always have carry-ons just so I can keep it close to me. Even exactly. though sometimes I, I I found in Europe especially they like to dig in into those luggages and make sure you don't have nothing on it. Yeah, but it's kind of is what it is. Yeah, exactly. So, do you have like any favorite lens you use like the most? Because I know you have quite a bit of range of different lenses, but is there any like particular one which you really like? Yeah, the the one hundred five mil, the one point four for portraits for sure. That I absolutely is my go to. I'm sure it's it's in your in your pocket as well. But mm -hmm. um, right now. Uh, as it was the 500 right now it's the 800 mil it's on my camera all the time birds um i because i can hand hold it it's just so easy yeah. and accessible and it just gets me so close it it just makes all the difference and then you know with the mirrorless being able to be silent a longer lens when i'm in my kayak i'm able to stay at distance you know it, it mm. causes less disturbance i spend way more time with the animals than i ever have before because of the silent shutter um, it you know there's no sound of clicking there's no and the other the other amazing thing about it is that that when you're on silent with the mirrorless 
uh, as anyone um, does wildlife photography with mirrorless, you absorb more of the sound, you feel more mm -hmm. a part of the scene versus you maybe clicking, clicking the scene. Yes. Yeah. So before I go to some additional questions I have, I have saw on your website, you have amazing portraiture work. And you you were photographing indigenous people. And can you tell me that experience, how that worked? Like, what was the project? And give me some more details about it. Because I was really inspired by some of those images. Oh, amazing thank work. You. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, when I, when I, I, I think it's whenever I travel anywhere. Mm -hmm. And when I go into communities, into the Arctic communities, I'm um, part of my part of what happened with me and my transformation is that I went up to the north and I realized how little I knew about Canada's Arctic and the people, mm -hmm. not just the wildlife and the landscape, but the, about the people, about the Inuit. And I'm, um, I'm, uh, you know, it's part of my visual storytelling too, mm -hmm. as far as, you know, bringing down to the south information imagery of culture tradition mm -hmm. and the importance of of where these you know where these amazing beautiful people live and and what mm -hmm. you know introducing um in a in a more intimate way i guess mm -hmm. um the people from the north of the south because we're so disconnected with geolog geographically um, yeah, so no matter if I go to Africa, I'm, I'm any, any place in the world that I might go, I'm enthralled with, with the people that you find there. So um, everybody has, every, every place in the world has such characters. And mm -hmm. I think it's part of my, um, you know, my background of photographing people for so, for so long, it's this need that I can't, I can't mm -hmm. shake. And it's also, you know, continues to be a, a you know, a challenge, like you, you talked about this adrenaline changing your style, you know, not necessarily being in control, but you know, the environmental portraits, I absolutely love doing as well, because it's just, it's in the moment, it's, it's spontaneous. There's no control about it. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm literally jealous about those type of projects. As I, as you probably know, I love photograph people. And I think <laughs> Your work, just I just look at it. I'm like, wow, that's just amazing that you are able to, you know, even interact with these people. And you know, the interesting part, as you mentioned, like you know, we're living in the same country, but we're still so far away from each other, and and we really don't know, we don't understand, we really not really familiar with those cultures, which I think is amazing that you know you can capture them and expose them to to the world, and you know, that's that's extremely impressive and amazing oh, thanks everybody has a story right everybody yes, has absolutely. a story for mm -hmm. sure so apart from photography do you have any other hobbies on, on, and interests or this is like your whole <laughs> life uh well it, it because it includes so much travel i love mm -hmm. being with my with my family and being at the lake mm -hmm. and swimming and boating and being on the water i think i'm you know i've always been a water a water baby. So my extracurricular time outside of outside of photography is really being at the lake with my family, spending time with mm -hmm. my friends, and uh, you know, enjoying the things that we do, like hiking, walking. Um, I don't play much golf anymore because I mm -hmm. I just don't I don't have the time. So it's important that you know refocusing and and just being really connected with everybody that is important in my life and making sure that when I'm traveling as much as I do, I come back and I, I have, and I take those opportunities because 
they're the ones that fuel me. Absolutely. And I, and I do want to just say that, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, on June 29th, it was announced that I was a new member of the Order of Canada. I don't know Congratulations. You know no, I didn't you. know that. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And who nominated me, but my dear, wonderful, amazing friends that have watched me throughout my career for many, many, many years. And it's with thanks to them that I have this incredible honor and yeah. And that's, yeah, they're incredibly special people in my life. That's amazing. Well, and yeah, you, not to mention you, des you deserve that. That's another important mm. fact thanks. that you, you work so hard for, for this honor. Mm, so thanks. Do you have any upcoming travel plans, like any big mm -hmm. projects? Can you share some mm -hmm. of those? Yeah, I'm going back to Canada's Arctic. So I work for mm -hmm. Abercrombie and Kent. I'm a photo coach on, on their ship. So mm -hmm. we go from Greenland, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, Yukon, and, and in Alaska, which mm -hmm. is three and a half weeks. And then I come home and then I do Great Bear Rainforest and then Chilco, which is another amazing place in BC with grizzly bears. You should come on that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then I do polar bears and then I go to Bali and Cairns and then I do Antarctica for a month and then I do Galapagos and then Africa. And that's oh, all before, cool. yeah, that's all before March. That's so before September, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also working on, we, you brought up project North. I'm, I'm working on a special, uh, hopefully a special project that's going to take us up to the Arctic in the spring. So hopefully we'll continue our, our work and spreading yes. the power of play through the Arctic communities. Yes. I want to share some details on this because you really humble, but let's, let's talk a little bit because your organization pretty much spent over a million of dollars worth of equipment for, you know, countless communities and, and young kids. Can you tell me a little bit more about your organization? How does even start it? And like, if you could just give me some details on it, I read a little bit and mm -hmm. it's, it's quite impressive. But if you could share, if you could share some of the information, I'd love about to. It. I'd love to. I'm very, very proud of Project North. It's a not-for-profit. I started it about 13 years ago, and I went, and it was from my first trip to the Arctic. I saw the love mm -hmm. of hockey. I saw the cost of things when I went into the store and saw a two-liter carton of milk sell for $18. However, today that's probably cheap. Um, you know, back then it was a realization that how costly things are, how much they love uh, sport and how many of them couldn't play. And when I went back up north with Adventure Canada, I asked if I could bring hockey equipment. They said yes. And then, you know, it, it was one of those things that um, the an idea that people mm -hmm. wanted to support and it became easy uh, or it was easy. I, I didn't mm -hmm. become easy. It was easy because I had so much support from so many different people. Canadian North came involved, uh, Scotiabank. I had a wonderful group of volunteers. It's all volunteer-based. Um, we've raised money. We've accepted new donations of hockey equipment. And we've distributed the well over probably one and a half million dollars now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is, is just grown. We've come a little bit south as well. We've done uh, soccer equipment. We brought up the Stanley Cup. We've brought up alumni oh. um, to many different communities. And it's all with and because of the support of so many amazing companies like Scotiabank and Canadian North mm -hmm. and 
and uh, all the amazing volunteers. So it was, I had an idea and it has nothing to do with photography. Mm -hmm. uh, it ran parallel with my, with my photography and it's something I'm incredibly proud of. And it, I think it also demonstrates that, you know, the power of a small, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. anything large. You can do a lot of things if you have an idea and the right people behind you. And I think that came from just believing in what I wanted to do. And it became a passion of mine wow. and, yeah, and fortunately, people were inspired to help. So we're continuing. Um, mm -hmm. We're continuing our work. We were just in Kamloops, and we were uh, in Barrier Lake in Quebec, and then Lennox Island in PEI, so a little three communities south of 60, and mm -hmm. um, spread a little love down here. But the majority of our work is in Nunavut and Nunavik, which is northern Quebec, Nunatsvut, which is Labrador, and Inuvialuit, which is Northwest Territories. Mm. That's amazing. And ex ex extremely impressive too. Like when I read some information, I was just like really blown away how much amazing work you've done for some of those communities. No, oh, thanks. Well, like I said, it's not just me. It's a, it's a it's group a, of people that have come well, together. But someone has to start it, right? And I think if you have a good yeah. leader... On something like this then you can get some success but if there is nobody at the front line then i think it's much harder right so yeah you took the lead on this well and i think a lot of people have really great ideas they just don't know where mm -hmm. to start and it's and it starts with your passion and your commitment right and and Absolutely. not taking note not necessarily taking no for an answer <laughs> yes <laughs> and yes. that can be people the opportunity to say that, no right? <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> we've been hearing no all our lives whatever exactly. you go and ask for something yeah. there's the first no you gotta just push yeah. every possible so my last <laughs> question to you my last question to you, what advice would you give to young photographers trying to succeed in field of photography? Mm. Shoot, 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 shoot all the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, develop your style. We talked about that. Create mm -hmm. a style and put yourself out there as much as you can. You know, back mm -hmm. in the day when we didn't have that opportunity, websites are, are one thing, but, you know, being and pushing yourself through maybe contests, um, through Instagram, social channels, um, mm -hmm. you know, following the trends and just not being confident and putting yourself out there. If you want something, then ask for it. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you want a story or you have a story, pitch it, you know, go to magazines, pitch it and be ready to be told no. And that's how <laughs> I did my books. Everyone, every person that said no to me just made me want to do it more. Yeah. You know, it's humbling to to be told no. It's humbling to, you know, have those those um, that whatever denial or you know the negative come your way. But you know that mm -hmm. just always pushed me further to to make it wanna uh, wanna happen. So mm -hmm. just believing in your work and putting yourself out there and and learning as much as you can all the time. It never stops, right? It's yes, never no. photography. It never stops. I think, I think what is learning. the most scary part is the more we know. I I deeply kind of have that experience that I think I there's still way more to learn. So it's not mm -hmm. even like it's not ending. But you know, you think you've got somewhere. It's like a mountain. You're trying to get to the top of the mountain, but you're never gonna get there. And you know, the the, the higher you get, the harder it is. But still, there's yeah. there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. The higher you get, the harder it is. You're absolutely right. Right. And mm -hmm. expectations and everything else. But 
you know, just believe in yourself too. believe in your work. And that's hard to do as a visual artist. It's hard to do as any artist and, and believe. And some people are going to like your work and some people aren't, or they're going to, you know, judge you or whatever. And that's, that's a lot of times why people kind of, you know, pull back a little bit. Maybe somebody yeah. said something that's disturbing or wrong because it gives people the option to, to say whatever they think that they think they can say uh, without any regard to people's feelings or whatever. And, you know, social comes with its, its own, but you can also make social whatever it is that you want it to be for you. You know, you don't have to dig into those negative things, but you know, it's a great tool to be able to see what is what and why people react to certain images Mm -hmm. too. I learn from that all the time. I'm sure you do too. You post something and you can't believe that it doesn't have the traction that you think it's going to have because Mm -hmm. you're maybe emotionally attached to it. Yes. But then you post something that you think is okay, but people go nuts over it, you know? So it's, that's, it's that's learning. the most crazy part, which I don't understand. And I agree a hundred percent with you. You post something and you have this emotional connection. You like the image, you think it's great. And people just like, doesn't resonate. But I think also with every image, we have different connection with it. Right. And especially yeah. I think in, mm-hmm. in your work, mm-hmm. and this is what drives me absolutely bonkers. You know, when you post some images and there is some negative comments, Oh, I don't like this. Like you have no idea how much work it took to get that yeah. image or, you know, what kind of experience you had to, or like how much you have to travel to get to the place and then get yeah. to this moment. And, and they just look at it and they kind of have this automatic judgment that they don't like something or you could turn a little bit this way or, you know, it's not the right. Like, it's just it's endless. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying not even read sometimes. I'm, I'm trying to read some of it. But if I see some stupid comment, which means absolutely nothing, I just try to ignore it. But I think we also as a photographers, because we have that connection with images we take this stuff personally right and we need totally. to learn to have that I totally thick skin mm-hmm. to kind of don't take that personally yep Absolutely. and to learn from it too and and that and and accepting of the fact that as as we all do we might not necessarily mm-hmm. say it publicly but you know sometimes yeah. things resonate with us differently you might have a fear of bears you don't like photos of bears or you know if i did a i did a a show and the woman moderating was terrified of bears and half my presentation was on bears. You know, So she was just like, ah, it wasn't a really great interview, you know, because she was just absolutely terrified. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or she didn't even like looking at them. We all we all react differently to different things and different connections. And, you know, sometimes it hits a chord, sometimes it doesn't. And that's OK. But if, as a young photographer, yeah. you know, understanding that and and really paying attention to that is, is important and, and just not, you know, choosing what, what you're going to listen to or not, you know, absolutely. (laughs) But also, you know, what inspires me in your work and this is something like I'm getting emotional by looking at those images, but I can't even imagine what you feel when you're taking those photographs because you are Mm -hmm. right there, right in that moment. And, and you just like engage with, you know, this, this animal or, or, you know, like their surroundings there, there's all additional elements, which put this yeah. experience on a completely different level. And, yeah. and me, or like, you know, yeah. average person looking at them, getting this emotional feel, but for you must be another drug, right? How we, we discussed this yeah. before. Yeah. And the eye to eye, like when you're looking yeah. at an animal to, through the eyes and you feel like you're, you're, connected in a Mm -hmm. much bigger way than you can explain and it's for you you know it's it's that it's that connection that was delivered for you 
or you created that and it's something incredibly special and I never ever ever take for granted yeah being able mm -hmm. to have that opportunity so whenever you photograph especially I, I'm asking about those like big predators like bears or or tigers and all this stuff so do you feel that there is some kind of connection when you when they look at you because I'm sure mm -hmm. there there must be some connection right so mm -hmm. How how that like I I know it probably is hard to explain, but like how you feel about it, like what's your emotions are probably running high. Oh yeah, and and try not to cry or hyperventilate or, you know, you're it, it was like when Boss shook or he was standing right in front of me, and I was so low to the ground. It you know it it became about the experience, not necessarily about the photography. Even though I ended up with one of my best all time images out of the scene, but. You know, it was maybe taking that time to work my way through it and, and know that, you know, that I didn't necessarily have it the first time, but I was lucky enough to have it a second or a third time to try. And mm -hmm. but it, it regardless of that, I, you know, that connection that I had with that animal at that moment, even though there were other people around, I was the one, you know, on the ground looking straight at him. For me, it, you know, everybody else had a connection to him as well, but I had my own my own personal connection and it it takes some time to absorb and to you know yeah it it, it stays with you for forever Life, and yeah. when I'm yeah when I'm busy or I'm out for a walk or I'm in my kayak or you know I'm just thinking I go back to those moments and they just fuel me for wanting more and to do more and to spread the words yes absolutely mm -hmm. thank you Michelle so much for your time I will keep looking at your fantastic images. Um, I'm also looking forward to all your upcoming projects. All the best and good luck with your project North, which is already successful, but I'm hoping it's going to go to another level and you're going to help more people because it's it's fantastic concept. And I think this is amazing work. And, thank you. And Again, thank you for, for finding the time to talk to me because I know, and based on what you said, you're so busy that every probably minute counts. So taking that time and spending with me, I, I, I really, truly appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased and thank you for asking and thank you everyone for tuning in if you're still here because this is a long one, I think. But anyway, <laughs> we, could talk for, we could talk for a very long time, couldn't long we? Time. And I, hopefully at some point yeah. we we'll, can do it again. Mm -hmm. I, I would love yeah. to have you again and then we can talk more. It seems like we just touched some of those topics, but I think there's way more into it. I, so yeah, I'd love that. I love that. And thank you for all your inspiring, beautiful portrait work. It's it just blows my mind. They're so vibrant and powerful. So thank you thank for you. your incredible I truly work. I appreciate too. it. Uh, thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Right. And um I will I will link all this stuff to this podcast. So you know, whoever haven't chance to see your work, we will tag all those interesting places where they can take a look at your amazing work. Great. And um Let's keep in touch and um, yeah, mm -hmm. all the best. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.